This week on the Pre-Real Podcast, we've got Bronson Hill. Bronson speaks directly, and I mean directly, at inflation, what's happening, what's coming around the corner. He speaks about ways that you can use inflation to your advantage. This is a guy that 20X'd his portfolio in just a few short years, having zero real estate experience going into it. Super sharp investor. Uh, if you want to get some tips on how to get started, where to look, what's coming around the corner, don't miss this episode. Bronson Hill, uh, really tremendous value, heck of a job. Check it out. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. We're joined today, folks, by Bronson Hill. Bronson is the CEO and founder of Bronson Equity. Uh, he's the GP in over 2,000 multifamily units, valued at over $200 million. He's the host of Mailbox, the Mailbox Money Show. Uh, he's raised over $25 million in private capital for some of those GP acquisitions. Uh, he's got a really neat report uh, on his website, How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage, which we'll get into in a bit. He co-leads a multifamily meetup in Pasadena called Phoebe for investors, by investors. And he recently closed a $62 million, 382-unit deal in Jacksonville. So with that, Bronson, thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks, man. It's excited to be here. I love talking real estate. I'm excited to uh, to get into it. Yeah. So it's an interesting time. And we were excited to have you on today for a number of reasons, but so much of, of your content, and he's a great follow, by the way, folks, Really, inform, really quality information and gets to the point uh, a lot of, of interesting topics that folks have kind of shied away from a little bit for a number of reasons, but Bronson deals with really directly and aggressively from a conservative investor perspective, which I love. Uh, so definitely check him out on all the platforms and all the information as always will be below in the show notes. But inflation, man, that's that's the talk of the day, right? Yeah, it is. It's something people are, we're feeling it at the pump. We're seeing it in prices everywhere. And uh, it's, I, I think it's here to stay. And so it, there needs to become a new strategy. And we really have not had a time like this since the late 70s, early 80s. And so most investors have never really dealt with a period of extended high inflation. So it changes the uh, the playbook, you know, instead of being a saver, somebody just kind of sits on money and saves it. Um, now savers are losers. You know, we lose money just by saving. So, you know, things that were kind of, you know, kind of pillars of investing have become things that have kind of been turned on their head a little bit in certain ways. So it's interesting how things are changing. And as a as a fellow conservative investor, that gives you agita, right? Talking about this is not a good time to save, but but right. you're right. You know, it's not it's not a good time to save in the sense of sitting on cash in the bank is probably the worst thing you could be doing at this point. Um, Bronson, you had said it's here to stay. What does that mean? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, when this first started happening, you know, the Fed came out and they said, hey, we're having this transitory inflation. We all remember, you know, it's transitory. It's going to go away. It's going to last for six to 12 months. It'll go away. And of course, well, lo and behold, it's there. And if you look at really what inflation really is, uh, Milton Friedman, who is an economist, said, uh, you know, it, it's a monetary phenomenon. What that means is inflation is caused it's it's an equation between goods and services, how many goods and services are available and how much monetary supply there is. So we actually had a change to both of those during COVID, right? We had uh, people were less productive because they stayed home. They stopped working. There's a lot of supply chain stuff is messed up, which I think will continue because of COVID, because of the way things have changed. So there's less supply of goods and services out, out there. And they created 40.9% new currency uh, either physically or digitally over a 24-month period between February of 2020 and February of 2022. So 40.9%. That's a huge number to just drop into the, just almost instantly, just you know, drop into the money supply. So everything's going to cost more. And um, not only is there more money out there, there's less goods and services available. So I think that is the recipe for high inflation. Like it's just, and I don't think it's 8%. I think it's more like 15 to 18% if you actually look at the actual cost because the CPI consumer price index is actually a fudge number. They actually substitute things in and it's it just feels so shady. They're like, if you like apples and you eat apples, but apples double in price, uh, they'll say, well, you'll make the switch to oranges because that would make more sense for you, right? You'll do that. Or if you have a two bedroom apartment, it's $1,200 a month and now rent goes up. Uh, they say, well, you would you would downsize to a one bedroom, right? These are things that don't make sense. They just, they're ways that they're trying to fudge the numbers. And so I think in general, they just can't stop spending. Even the Inflation Reduction Act, um, even the name is just bizarre because it's actually going to increase inflation even more. So I feel like our government is very clueless to really understand what causes and what continues inflation. And I think it's going to be a perpetual issue for a number of years. So, man, I, I, I referenced earlier that you're a great follow and, and the information is concise and impactful. And this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. What many of us are thinking it, but so few of us are saying what you just said, right? Mm -hmm. This shouldn't be to an astute and inv investor. This should not be in any way a surprise, mm -hmm. right? We saw this coming. Uh, we understood what had to happen next as they continue to funnel copious amounts of money with no tether to it into the economy. And unfortunately, I think a lot of that money has gone through its useful life cycle, if you will. It's left the uh, recipient's hands and it's gone out into the economy with no tangible return, right? So now we have folks that are accustomed to working less who received more and they didn't invest the money. They spent it on whatever it is that they were going to spend it on. And that brings us to a really unique point in history. The 70s is a great reference point because of the the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know if we've ever been in this particular place. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you have well the other the thing that that is taking place now and I, I you know again if you only looked at real estate in 2008-2009, I know a lot of friends that did this, they they got they they lost everything. They lost a lot because they weren't paying attention to this macroeconomic picture. So I think it's so important. I can tell as well, James, you're a student of the economy and of what's going on as well. It's really important you pay attention to the kind of global themes that are happening and what's happening in the world and what are the trends and even politics and all this, because it all relates. 
And so the thing that really did not happen in the 70s, and Paul Volcker, uh, you know, the, Fed, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, was able to raise rates to almost 20% over a very short period of time to try to bring inflation down. But inflation didn't get below 5% five, uh, 5% per year until it took like five years or so. It took years later. So it came down, but it came down over time. And it was through a lot of pain. And the challenge now with doing that is our debt load, instead of you know 30% of GDP, GDP or whatever it was back then, we're like over 100% of GDP. And so for every, every percentage point, the interest rate goes up. I don't have the exact figure, but the federal government's deficit uh, or you know the, the interest payments on the deficit go up substantially. It's like a trillion dollars more per year every for every percentage point that goes up, which people don't realize like how significant that really is. So we've got this huge debt bomb there that the, the government is really incentivized to actually understate inflation, which they're doing, and to continue to ride this out and hopefully kind of erode away some of the national debt. But the problem is it really erodes away people's savings, particularly older people. There's a lot of boomers out there now that are trying to live off of it. And if you can't find a way to actually ride that wave of inflation and take advantage of it, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, if somebody, and this is, you know, you kind of mentioned this earlier, um, but the confused mind will always say to wait, we'll take inaction. They won't take any action. So a lot of people are saying, I'm just going to wait. But the problem is if inflation is actually 15 to 18%, then over a two-year period, if you just wait, you're going to lose like 40% of your wealth. I mean, it's not going to be like the dollars are going away, but the purchasing power of your wealth is going away. And I don't think that we're going to have a decline in prices or decline in valuation in housing or in any other assets of 30 to 40%. So you're right, sitting in cash is a very tough thing to do. And I don't think it's very smart to do right now, but a lot of people are doing that. Yeah, so it's uh, we've put ourselves in a position where if we're not careful, we can't afford our own debt as a country, right? And we saw a bit of a pivot um, in London a week ago. And it's curious to see if our leaders here have the will to resist that temptation because it's a mess right now on a macro level. And if we pivot too soon, where we'll buy a couple of years, in my opinion, but then it becomes a total and I don't see how we we get out of it at that point, candidly. Right, right. No, it's it's the options right now are very few. I just had a, a webinar. I do these monthly uh, Bronson Equity Investor webinars, and we had you know some great leaders coming on talking about how do we fix the financial system, right? And kind of the consensus was, well, it's you know you've got to kind of take care of yourself. I mean, to actually fix it would just require incredible amounts of pain that I don't think any politician is willing to do. I mean, to basically you almost have to destroy the financial system to save it. And the fact that since the Federal Reserve was created in, I believe it was 1913 or 1912, um, the, it is, you know, the dollar has lost 99% of its value. And before that, we didn't have you know, a central bank. There was a hundred years, a couple hundred years, we, did, we didn't even have a central bank at all. And so um, you know, when you have a central bank, it allows governments to be irresponsible. It allows them to go into unnecessary wars. It allows them to spend more than what they have. And the problem is when the government doesn't have any money. People don't realize they don't have any money. Whatever they create is taken from the people. It's taken from you and I and from other things or from future, you know, whatever it is. And so um, it, it just creates this manipulation. But, it, you know, to actually end the Fed or end the Federal Reserve or end the central banking system would be uh, a very, very difficult thing to do. And I don't know if there's really any other way except for the eventual dollar collapse and then to see, well, okay, what can we create at that point? 
with all of that happy news, folks, <laughs> and I know it's hard to hear, but these are things that, that are so important. And again, so few people are talking about it in this this candid of a fashion. I wanted to touch on it with you. So with all of that and absent the complete collapse, where do folks go? Why is multifamily uh, I assume that's where you're going to you're going to go, right? Why is multifamily the asset class that makes the most sense? And what are some of the strategies you've put in place now to help deal with this ever changing market? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the thing, uh, whatever you invest in, or whatever you buy, or whatever you're doing financially, um, it's important to have a plan. It's important to think about, okay, what what actually you know, instead of being hurt by inflation, well, how can you use it to your advantage? And there's things about real estate. Now, I, I don't love real estate. I love what real estate does for me, right? I love that it'll gives me passive income. I love that I can pay almost no taxes. I love that we can have leverage to be able to buy real estate. So, for example, if I put 20% down on a property and it increases by 20% in value, I haven't, you know, had a 20% increase in my value. I've had a 100% increase on in my value, right? Because of the actual leverage and the equity that's in there. So, I think you know, using leverage, using safe debt. Is great. Um, there are other assets. You know, I, I do some stuff in precious metals. There's other. Some people have, you know, big need for Bitcoin or other things. Um, but I, I do think owning income real estate. So basically, the goal is with the bulk of my assets. Um, I'm not giving anybody any advice, but this is kind of what I have done. As I've said, I want to have about 80% of my wealth in assets that pay you to hold them. Right. So there's some assets that you own and they're speculative. I own a piece of raw land. It may be worth a lot of money someday. But it doesn't pay me to hold it usually, unless you rent it out as a to farmers or something. But if I own a multifamily apartment building, I can tell very clearly, okay, this is this is a property that is going to be worth more in the future. And if you look at a trend line, if I had a chart, I would show you since 1960 what uh, you know in, the inflation line, what that inflation line has been, just been up and to the right, and what rents have done. And they've almost it's almost a complete correlation. Now rents are slightly behind inflation. But it just it tracks very very well. So if you're trying to hedge inflation, if you get into assets such as multifamily property where rents you watched, I mean, the last you know in, in Jacksonville rents have gone up 19 percent in the last 10 months, and it's happening all over the country. And I think it's only going to continue to happen because we're not building enough, we're not building the right types of properties. Construction costs are through the roof, so things are going to continue to cost more. So if I'm in the right side of the equation, I can have this asset that I own with leverage that basically the value of it is determined on how much income is coming in. So if I'm getting rent coming in and that rent is going up by itself and I'm doing some value add, I'm coming in and renovating and seeing, you know, we're seeing in our properties in Jacksonville, we put a $6,000 renovation in, we can raise rent by 55% for the next person. So the rent was a thousand, now it's over 1500. That's It's a huge upside, right? So we know we're going to be okay, even if interest rates rise, even if valuations go down, we know that this property is going to be worth more in the long term because it's and 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 in that whole process of it being worth more, we're getting paid to hold it. We're actually cash flowing from that asset, and we're getting tax benefits. So to me, I call it the like an it's an unfair advantage. It's like such a, you know you pay hardly you pay no you defer or pay no taxes. Uh, you can basically hold it for a long term using leverage, and we know it's going to be worth more over time. And I think because of all this high inflation, we're going to see no matter what happens in the short term with valuations of housing single or multifamily, the value of these places is going to continue to rise. So the, the beauty of it, folks, simply put, if you measure it against a commercial asset, and again, I, I do think there is a, a place for those longer term fixed uh, increase portfolio assets. And I, I say that because uh, cash flow is still 
critical as we move through this process. So if you have a 10-year lease with a corporate and you're getting 2% increases uh, every year or even worse, 10% every five, and inflation is at 8, 10, 12%, 15, 20%, technically, from a cash flow perspective, you're losing money on the asset, right? As time evolves because the increases can't keep up with what's happening in the market. With multifamily, to a large extent, uh, and again, depending on the type of multifamily, if there are rent regulations, uh, you can recast that rent almost in real time or certainly yearly, and you can increase the cash flow. So instead of relying on just appreciation, you're uh, relying on controlling the amount of revenue that you're receiving for that particular asset. As that revenue goes up, eventually you'll be able to trade on a cap rate thereby increasing the sale price, right? So uh, multifamilies gives you a really neat opportunity to do that. Um, the, the trick is, Bronson, in, in a climate like this, how do you find the assets that are you know, gonna pencil out and the right debt? I think that's the biggest bogey that a lot of folks have not accounted for, right? How yeah. do you get to the other side of the rainbow? Yeah, so it's interesting right now because as rates are rising, I mean, if you're looking at single family, because a lot of people evaluate kind of all housing based on what's happening in single family. So if you're buying, if you bought a house at 3% interest rate and now we're at 7%, your payment's gone up 41%, right? And you still have about the same buying price. It's like, well, how does that work, right? It's 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 a challenging equation to get you know, your head around is that your payment's way more. So there are fewer buyers out there right now, for especially for single family. Now in multifamily, maybe our rates are similar, maybe a little bit lower, maybe six, six and a half percent, whatever that is. But I think the the challenge, or, the, or at least the opportunity here as well, is you know if we're truly short of housing supply, right? Because if if now single family has become less desirable, right? There's the less desire for people to buy single family houses because of interest rates. Fewer people qualify. Plus, people are saying, hey, their payment's so much more expensive. So where do those people go? They've got to rent. They've got to go somewhere to rent. They've either got to rent a house, they've got, which continues to drive rents up, right? So that's another positive for rents. Now, multifamily, let's say we're in a place where interest rates are 6.5% or whatever. We know we've got, we do a lot of 85% of debt in the multifamily space is bridge debt, which means it's typically two to four year type of debt. Um, so what we've done is we will buy, you know, something typically two, three years with an extension, or we'll buy some private debt that allows for, if we know we can renovate of this 382 apartment unit complex we bought, if we know we can renovate, uh, you know, a, a certain, let's say 80% of those units over the next two years, and we have a high degree of certainty that we're able to do that. Even if rates go higher, we're going to be okay because we increase the value of the property through the rents increasing, Right. So that we should be able to refinance or have no problem when we're ready to refinance. Now, the challenge where that gets in place, if you're buying brand new class A apartments where there is no value add, right? Like in Pasadena, California, we've got some really nice apartments that are 4,200 for a two bedroom. Uh, if there's a recession or things happen, they're not going to get 4,200, right? They maybe like at 3,500 or 3,000. That's really going to hurt those particular projects. So for us, I think when we look at it, we say, um, you know, if you get in and the interest rate is higher, the, the price you bought it is fixed. You have a fixed buying price, let's say $60 million, whatever the price was for the building. But if I, you know, the interest rate can be adjusted later, right? So if I have a six and a half or 7% or whatever it is down the road, your interest rate, if it goes lower, typically they'll raise rates for six to 12 or 24 months, depending on how long it is, rates will rise and then they'll start dropping rates again. So what happens when these multifamily properties 
that were at 7%, you know, interest rate, whatever, the rates start dropping to five or to four. Well, what happens is then you can refinance to a lower rate. And I think what's going to happen is that these valuations of these properties are going to go way up because people are going to say, oh, now cheap debt is back. You know, we're going to do it. So people will regret not buying now. So I've had other people kind of share that, that yeah, right, like this is actually a great time to buy because there's fewer buyers out there because people are looking at the interest rates, whatever. But if you, again, you fix your buying price, which you know you can't change that, but you can adjust the interest rate at a later point, right? So uh, without a doubt, I, I believe we're headed into the greatest buying opportunity of my lifetime, for sure. Mm. Uh, so the the trick is, again, getting to the other side of the rainbow. How long do we need that that fixed debt? Is it two years, three years, five years? How You know, with extensions and everything baked in, how far out are you going in in locking in or being having the option to keep that that rate locked for? Yeah, so it's it's a really good question. Yeah, the big thing is you don't want to be in a place where you have to sell a property when it's not favorable to sell. And this happened uh, in 2008, 2009. There was about six months where it was just hard to get a loan, right? There was a financial panic. It was just difficult. It happened during COVID. It happened for about three or four months yep. where it was really hard to get a commercial loan. I mean, between March and June, there were very few deals. Of 2020, there were very few deals happening. So if your loan was due at that time, like you, you were, okay, you're in trouble. So the, the goal is to have options and have multiple different ways, whether you're going to refinance, you're going to sell. So a lot of our deals we do are typically five-year holds. We'll typically have you know, a two, three-year type of debt with an extendable one or two years on it. So usually it ends up being a four or five-year potential where you can extend at the same or similar rates. Uh, one kind of issue on some of the that we're seeing now is that these interest rate caps, which you pay to have a cap on the interest rate. So the debt is a flexible floating debt, but you're paying to say, okay, I'm paying, you know, and, and these have gone up, you know, they're 10 to 20 times as much now as they were a year or a couple of years ago. So you're paying for this interest rate cap. It's like an insurance that so interest rate doesn't go above six and a half percent or doesn't go above 7%, just so that, you know, even if interest rates go sky high, you're protected and you're covered, but you're paying for a protection on that, right? So if you have those in place, you're going to put more money into that. But I do think there's going to come a point where all of this stuff higher interest rates, interest rate caps, it leads to higher ownership costs. We still have a shortage of housing. We just talked about single families, less desirable. So all these people that were going to buy houses, where are they going to go? No, they have to go to apartments, have to rent places, which puts a lot of pressure on rents. And then if they're building, they just can't build stuff fast enough. And the costs there are just going through the roof. But I think all of that leads to higher values for multifamily apartments. Yeah, long-term, I, I, I completely agree. I think the last report I read, uh, cited four and a half or five million housing units that were short in the country mm -hmm. right now, right? Yeah. So yeah, there, there, there's 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 three three or four different major reports. Once from the, I mean, it's basically from three million up to like six point eight million, and so somewhere in there, some people would say, well, there's other thing. You know, we don't know exactly what it is, but we're we're short a lot of it. Whether it's a million or it's eight million or what, like we're we're short a lot, and 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 in certain markets, it's it's very acute. So like Jacksonville's twenty thousand new people are moving there every single month, right? And this is uh, so it puts a lot of pressure. And there are other areas where people are leaving. So um, you know, it depends where you're buying as well. Yeah. So it it's uh, in in what the strategy we've deployed and what we're advising. Uh, and again, you know, of course, everyone speak to your professionals. You know, we're here chatting, right, to try and share a little bit of experience and knowledge. 
for us, those those rate locks or rate caps are the best fees we can possibly pay at this point. We're worried that we're going to get to a protracted period where there's no source to refinance the debt, right? We're seeing some of the big institutional uh, banks offer incentives now to put money on deposit, right? We've seen this before. They start to offer a quarter of a point or a half a point extra, and they're starting to pull some of that money out of the smaller and mid-cap banks that can't compete. At the same time, that COVID money is burning off, right? And the deposits are dropping. And a lot of those smaller lenders are the ones that funded so many of these deals over the last few years, this bridge money. That's going to be coming due now over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months. And when it does, if the big banks are not lending, now what, right? You can have Mm -hmm. technically performing loans that are due for refinance. And because the bank's deposits have dropped, they're out of charter and they need the debt off their books. So we're we're advising when you've got those opportunities, you know, lock those rates in, folks. Make sure you can get to the other side of the rainbow. As Bronson had said, uh, the the demand is there; it's irrefutable, and and it's continuing. Right, the demand is going up. Folks are are going to have a really hard time, uh, I believe, securing financing for those single family and two family homes. And being a renter is just the natural next step. So the next question is where? Where where are you buying these these assets? What markets are attractive to you at this point? Yeah. So we look at uh, trends of you know where are people moving? I mean, there's different you know but there's places you can go to find that. What are the fastest growing areas and cities? Where are people migrating to? And it really primarily is the Sun Belt, right? Basically from you know, Arizona all the way to Florida. So it's the southern part of the U.S., kind of south, you know, central to southeast. And why is this, right? It's because people, uh, you know, I think there's a thousand people retiring a week or it's a few thousand people a week. There's many people that are retiring, maybe it's a thousand people a day. It's, it's a substantial amount of people. So if somebody's living in Chicago, they're living in New York, they're saying, hey, I have some flexibility here. I'd love to live in Florida. I'd love to live in Texas or Arizona, and that's why these areas are booming. And so I think just from a demographic standpoint, uh, it, there's so many people that are looking to be in a place like Florida. Now, I look at it, um, and then we love Florida for this reason, is that you know in Pasadena, where I live, a, you know, a basic three-bedroom house is about $1.2 million. You know That's about kind of the going rate here in this neighborhood I live in. It's a nice neighborhood, but the same house in Jacksonville is uh, the average house actually in Jacksonville is 311000 so we're about 300,000. You get a small three-bedroom house in a decent area. And you know, that's the average house. Now, there's some obviously much more expensive, much, you know, there aren't, but so you get a much, much cheaper housing, you have a much better quality of life. Uh, there's no state income tax. If somebody's living off a pension, or it's like when LeBron James, right? When he left Cleveland for a while and went and played in Florida, right? He was going to save like millions of dollars a year. Even Joe Rogan, that has hundred million dollar Spotify contract, whatever, he saved you know, something like $12 million by just moving to Texas, right? So people, I mean, these things matter, you know, people think that, oh, you know, there's just money and whatever people that are in high tax states are fleeing them because they can go live much cheaper and better and have a better quality of life. And so, um, so I I think in general, you know, we love Jacksonville for a lot of reasons. I get into kind of the specific market, why we like that, but there's a lot of areas in Florida, there's Georgia, there's Arizona, Arizona is, I, I don't like it as much just because, um, the cost per unit is actually 
Uh, we're buying stuff in Jacksonville at 160,000 per unit for kind of class C, you know, 1970s build type of apartment units. The same stuff in uh, bigger markets, maybe it's Orlando or maybe it's, um, you know, in Arizona, uh, 250 to 300,000 for some of these. And so we feel like we're buying, you know, pretty significantly below replacement costs. Uh, but for some of these other places, it may not necessarily be true. Of course, it's hard to tell what replacement costs actually are. But I think if you're buying in places where people are moving to, you're seeing growth, you're seeing there's a lot of pressure on the supply, you're in the path of progress. Um, I think, you know, it's going to continue to be safe, even if there is a recession. We've seen that in areas like Texas and Florida and Georgia, uh, Arizona since 2008, 2009. So the we, we've dubbed it the decentralization of real estate, right? We've been talking about this for some time. And what typically happens is there are emerging markets, these secondary markets and tertiary markets that heat up when the economy is booming, right? Because people are looking for, uh, from an investment perspective, that more uh, reasonable, you know, barrier of entry price-wise. Uh, not everybody can jump into the markets in New York and California and, and do anything sizable because it's, it's it's damn expensive. So we would see these secondary and tertiary markets start to pick up ahead of steam. But then when this would happen in the cycle, the wind gets sucked out of them, those markets get clobbered, and it's this you know game of retreat. I don't think that that's the case anymore. I believe that we've seen enough relocation and decentralization. It is so underreported. I cannot bump into somebody without hearing another person that's picked up and called it a day in New York. Like it's <laughs> right. very, very real, right? Like folks mm -hmm. are, are are retiring or not even retiring. They're opting for remote work and they're just saying, hey, let's Good. let's go, you know, quality of life has become more difficult. Crime is up. Things are wickedly expensive. Traffic, all of those things that, you know, we've, we kind of put on the side for a while, but, but a, 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 an impact from COVID that I believe is here to stay is it did give people a, a, a bit of too much time to think. And, mm -hmm. and at the end of it, they went, yeah, no, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, yeah. we're going to go opt for a, a place that's, you know, you can live like a king in some of these places in the Sun Belt. We've picked up a ton of assets in, in the Sun Belt over the last several years uh, for that exact reason. So I just was curious on your, your take for these secondary and tertiary markets that have seen this influx and historically have then seen a rollback. Do you think that we've hit kind of a high watermark here and, and we've set a new norm? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, I just think real estate in general, even buying single fan, no matter what you buy right now, in the long run, we know it's going to be worth more because of the fiscal, uh, you know, irresponsibility of the Fed and because of our government. I mean, some of it's policy and some of it's just spending. Um, and there's they're kind of different things, right? You've got monetary policy and then you've got um, you know, actual just spending and budgeting and just both are terrible. We've just kind of done a terrible job of both. So with that being in play, you're just going to continue to have more and more money and more and more money is going to go into assets and different things. So I think, you know, owning in these areas, like, I mean, you brought up a great point and that's, uh, people can work remotely, you know? So if I can work remotely and I can live anywhere I want, why would I live in New York city when I could live in Florida? I'm on the same time zone. I can, you know, basically I don't have to go to work. Maybe I got to go into work once a month. Well, you can do that. You can take a flight. People would, I would happily do that. I go in once a week or people are finding another thing too. People are finding is that 
um, you know, instead of having to be an hour away from work, you can be kind of two to three hours away because, you know, if you're going in a couple of days a week or a few days a week, you can, people will do that. People will drive in or they'll find a way or they'll have a place in the city and they can kind of make it work. But I think, um, I think things are going to continue that way where it's going to become more decentral. We've realized that COVID is the plus side of that is that we can, you know, be on zoom. You know, I, remember I used to do, you know, I've had over 1300 one-on-one investor calls with, uh, on zoom with investors and over the years and, you know, in the be before COVID people didn't even really know how to use zoom. And now, you know, everybody knows, nobody knows, doesn't know how to use zoom. Everybody knows it. Like from, you know, somebody who's 80 years old, everybody knows how to use zoom. And so I think, um, you know, these are, these are subtle things when people realize like I can be in a tertiary or a secondary market. It's beautiful. I can do all my work stuff I need to do and I can travel. And, um, so there's a lot of ways to be able to do it. And I think that's, uh, super attractive. And as I see, like you said, the quality of life you can live can be way better for your family, for yourself. And uh, why wouldn't, why would you not? What would keep you in a place besides just maybe other family members? So maybe your job then is try to convince your family members that everybody moved to some Sunbelt place, right? <laughs> <laughs> so technology has uh, certainly played a huge role here, as you've touched on. Um, we saw in 2009, 10, uh, during kind of the retail apocalypse, um, retailers started to catch on too. like, Hey, we're not going to pay, you know, $3 million or $4 million, uh, a quarter in rent to be on fifth Avenue because it's, it's a flagship and it's an opportunity to brand and it's a place to be seen. They realized that for a fraction of that money, they could reach their customers in a very personal way right here on the phone. Uh, and as they started to opt to take uh, real estate and shift from some of those flagship locations, right, and reach people digitally, we're seeing now the same the same type of connectivity where folks are saying, we don't have to physically be in that, that you know, office. We're going to opt for the, we're, we're seeing people that are taking assets and they're like living in different states for like six months at the clip right they want right. complete freedom like they're, they're bouncing around they're taking down our airbnbs and saying hey we want to be here for six months and we'll see how it goes and it's like this completely different lifestyle because technology has afforded us all of these amazing tools you know it's, it's a really neat time to to be an investor there's no doubt about it yeah absolutely no it, it is it's it's you know, I mean, I, this, there's a saying to even as an investor where you can you can live where you want and you can invest where the numbers make sense. And that's amazing. It's true. I mean, I live in California, which is a very high tax state. I pay about a 1% total tax rate, right? And how do I do that? It's through some of the advantages of real estate. Um, and so for people, it's the same. You know, if you find a way to get your assets working for you, uh, whether it's, you know, actively, you're actively doing these deals or you're passively investing and uh, with a group that, that does it, I think it's a, an awesome way to grow wealth and you can live where you want. So so tell me a little bit about Bronson Equity at this point. Uh, what is it that you're you're focused on? Are you guys raising capital? Are you training and coaching up the next generation of investors? What's happening over by you? Yeah, so our target really is we work with a lot of business owners, people that own a business, have sold a business, um, you know, just really interested in being involved in real estate, but don't want to manage toilets, tenants, and leasing. So we offer passive opportunities for people to invest and enjoy the tax breaks and really grow wealth over time. And uh, so we were doing that in multifamily. We've got uh, almost 1,500 units in Jacksonville, Florida. We've got other markets we work in too. We're also working with the fifth largest operator of ATM machines in the country. 
we've got a fund that basically does that. It's probably the most predictable cash flow uh, deal that I've ever seen. And so we've got that. We've also got some other stuff in the alternative energy space that we're looking at. So again, I, I, I love real estate, but I more love whatever, whatever the asset is, you know, what does the asset do for you? Right. So again, it, it can change certain times in certain markets, you know, multifamily could be amazing. And other times it's like, you know, for a certain person, maybe the ATM machine or maybe some other type of, of investment can work well. So I think as an investor, it's so important that we educate ourselves, uh, you know, what, what are our goals and what's going to help us to get there. Uh, that's the beauty of of real estate for for us. It's been the the door opener to literally everything. We have found ourselves in investments across the spectrum because real estate does kind of open those doors to all sorts of neat ways to to make money. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's it truly is a is an amazing asset. Everybody knows they should do real estate, but um, you know you watch people that it can become exceptionally wealthy, and it's typically because they've been wise and they've put themselves out there into different deals. And everybody I know that's financially free um, has, you know, they have a business or they, or they do real estate or most of them do both. Like it's very rare people are not involved in some sort of, you know, asset that pays you to hold them. It's interesting. So before I let you go, I'm, I'm curious, how did you end up in, in the real estate and multifamily space? What's, what's the story? Yeah, yeah. So I was a well-paid uh, medical sales professional. I used to go into for ten years. I was in, you know, medical sales. Went into surgery with physicians, heart surgical stuff, leg surgical stuff. I was getting paid over two hundred thousand dollars a year. I was working, working hard in a while for a while, and then I kind of slowed it down to about thirty hours a week. So I was getting paid really well. So my family's like, "Why would you ever want to leave this?" Right? And I was like, "Well, I just want to develop my own thing, and I want to, I want to get into real estate because I see much more upside." And so I had been doing single family houses and I had a, a cousin kind of a chance meeting. I saw him, I hadn't seen him since I was a kid. And he said, Hey, I'm, you know, he's like, why don't you do multifamily? And I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. He said, you can raise the money. So he said, go to this course, read this book, listen to this podcast. And I just kind of did everything. And then, you know, within two years, I'd raised $15 million and was kind of on track to get ready to quit my corporate job. So like, it just it went very well. So my experiences may not be you know typical, but I just think the more you learn about it, I realized the skills of understanding passive investing, understanding how real estate investments work and being able to explain it, being able to put your own money and help others to do it. It's, it's such a valuable thing because you're, you know, I was able to 20 X my net worth in a period of four years. Right. And that only happened because I learned how to do this. So for anybody who's out there, I just love being able to, you know, be a part of those conversations or just help, you know, learn myself as far as how to do more things within investing and particularly real estate. Yeah, man. That and and that's why we're here. There the 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 technology has has given us all this amazing opportunity. You can you can I'll stop short of use of the word expert, but you could become pretty darn well educated on just about any topic in in real estate, really any topic at, at all, uh, the resources are out there, and we have found the the community is just it's amazing. There are so many folks out there that want to be a part, that are willing to give you know an hour of their time, like you did today, to get on and connect with the audience and share a bit of of your story, and to be able to twenty x your net worth in four years in an industry you didn't grow up in, you didn't have prior experience. There wasn't you know Uncle Joe that pulled you into the you know the company business here that's pretty remarkable man congrats on the success and best best of luck thanks man i appreciate it no it's really great to be here and great to be able to to share and talk and and they love having the conversation man i so tell you're you're 
we're pieces of the same pod, man. It's really fun to see how you're looking at things. No, no doubt. What's the, the best way for folks to find you? So we talked about this. I've got my report here, how to use inflation to your advantage. There's some awesome stuff in here. It's about 50 color pages. You can go to bronsonequity.com. You can download it for free. You hear about stuff that we're working on, some you know cutting edge things we're trying to just stay ahead of what's happening in the market, both in real estate and finance. And we talk about stuff beyond real estate as well, but love connecting with anyone about investing. Yeah, so folks, definitely take them up on that. Bron- BronsonEquity.com, you, you log on, you put your email in and you get the report in 10 seconds. Uh, it's a 55 or 56 pages, but it's in presentation form. It's a quick read and it's packed with neat information. So definitely give that a, a, a quick read. And Bronson, best of luck again, man. Really appreciate you and uh, look forward to connecting again. Thanks, James. This is awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone. As always, stay safe.